This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Michigan Wild Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. All right, got a super cool episode for you guys today. Um, It's not really, I know I had kind of talked about in last week's episode about uh, maybe talking like deer camp. Uh, The the firearm opener was last week, um, but I kind of switched it up, had the opportunity to record an episode with this guest, pushed it to the front of the line because it was just uh, such a, a cool episode. Um, so today, my guest is Nate Weber, and some of you may know that name, others not. And for those of you that do know it, Nate was a contestant on season eight of Alone, which I believe airs on the History Channel. Um, I caught it on Netflix. I think that's where a lot of people probably uh, first got their dose of, uh, of alone. Um, but no, Nate, uh, lives here in Michigan. Uh, so I remember like watching the episode. Um, and I, I kind of, I think I tell this story in the, in the episode as well, but it, uh, when I decided to start the podcast, that was, you know, kind of Michigan specific. Um, you know, I, I just thought it'd be super cool, uh, to have someone like Nate on and, uh, yeah, reached out and, very receptive, very open to it, uh, was more than happy to come on. And yeah, we just have, uh, an awesome chat for, I mean, I, I cut it short and we were over an hour. Uh, and I think we probably could have went, you know, another hour. Um, I mean, we covered a lot of ground. We got to talk about Nate's upbringing. Um, you know, he spent 12 years in the Navy as a corpsman, um, got out, got back in, uh, to the army, uh, was a helicopter pilot for another 12 years. Um, so he's retired, uh, from the military and talks about that, you know, how we landed in Michigan. Um, you know, the, the property that, uh, that him and his family own, um, uh, kind of what the plans are for that long term. Um, and you know, of course we, we get to spend a lot of time talking about alone and what the experience was like, how he even ended up in that position in the first place. Um, you know, what he kind of learned, uh, about himself, um, you know, how he knew when it was, when it was his time, um, to, to have to tap out. And we talk about something that it, you never know really, you know, where a conversation, uh, is going to take you, but we landed on a point and Nate brings up, uh, a really good point when talking about failure and quitting and how they're two very separate things. Um, but you really need to understand the difference between them. And 
I'm not going to try to go into it now because because Nate does a much better job of explaining it um, when when we're talking about it uh, in the course of our conversation. But uh, something that really kind of stuck out um, throughout the the course of of us speaking. But yeah, uh, just a super cool episode. One I think you guys will uh, certainly enjoy as much as I did. So episode 13 with Nate Weber. Enjoy, guys. All right, Nate Weber, welcome to the podcast, sir. How are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I uh, <clears throat> It's going to sound a little bit uh, repetitive to you, but I was just telling you that since kind of like scheduling all of this or starting the podcast, um, I was really looking forward to trying to get you on here. And thankfully, it, uh, it worked out. So I'm, I'm super stoked to talk alone, talk Michigan, talk the outdoors, all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to see what you got. See, see what kind of questions. You got. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to start off with some softballs for you. So, all right, for, I'll take. Some. All right, there we go. Let's 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 get primed up here. So, Nate, for the listeners here, give uh, give a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from, where you're at, all that good stuff. So, I grew up, uh, born and raised for the first 17 years in Northwest Ohio. Um, rival Ohio State, Michigan fans, and I chose Michigan because I was a nonconformist most of my life. So, there you go. Uh, I don't know why. I just always like go blue. And and uh, I was in the era of Leroy Horde, and he wore my number, 33. So I really loved that in high school. Um, so I was a Michigan fan growing up. <clears throat> I was uh, one of three kids in a single mother home, um, typical 70s kid, um, the carryover from the 60s, some drugs and fun stuff that goes crazy like for a childhood. So um, been exposed to everything when it comes to that. Wasn't a great um, family dynamic. And so at 17, I, I bailed quick and and uh, joined the military. So I two days after I graduated high school, I was in the Navy at boot camp. So um, and that was just to see the world and get out of a small town and and uh, and and kind of go in the path that I thought I just shot my shot and I chased my arrow and, and see where it, where it took me. Um, and I did 12 years in Navy medicine. I was a Navy corpsman. Um, and then I was ended it as a cardiovascular tech in the Navy. And then I switched over to the army after 12 years. And I did 12 more years as an army helicopter pilot. Um, and then I retired after 24 years, which I think I was 44 cause I had like a two year break in service. And then, to get to the army. And after that, we sold everything we owned and built a tiny house in a Freightliner chassis truck and drove around, stayed the first winter. I retired in 17 in Ohio and then headed north and went snowmobiling and found East Jordan and this 40 acres. It was nothing on it except an old apple orchard. We didn't know that until after we bought it and a whole homestead and so it's just 40 acres of rolling hills in Michigan. It's got every type of soil that Michigan offers. So that's fantastic for excavating because you never know if you're digging in gray clay or gravel. So, right. so I, for the last four and a half years, we, I built a pole barn, a 40 by 64 pole barn with 16 foot sidewalls. And then so I could put a two story house in the back of it. And that was going to be the guest house. So that's where we're at right now. And, um, the plan is to excavate and build another house up on the ridge line, a primary house and some cabins and stuff. So the homestead idea is the plan. We're, 
I, I feel, I guess it's my military days that, um, everything has to be organized and planned. I could just wing it and, and just start getting animals with no fence and just try to, it'd be a crazy chaos <laughs> on this fallen tree, and brush pile fences and, or I can be organized and build the buildings, get a good habitat, make quality animals, and then slowly. So that's where we're at. I had to get the house. I still, I mean, I had five kids when we moved up here. So if two have moved on that are grown and three are still in the house. So if it was just the wife and I, we'd probably still be in the damn truck and we'd have animals. But <laughs> since there's kids and family, um, I had to get them comfortable and so they can be somewhat civilized. And then, so the plan is we're getting the buildings built and then we're starting our animals, um, this spring. So <clears throat> that's, I mean, that's a really cool story. Like the whole, I mean, had you seen the property? Like, was it sight unseen when you guys bought it? it when we, well, here's the deal. We came up and we were snowmobiling. My cousin owns some cabins in waters south of Gaylord. Yep. <laughs> So we, we came up, we snowmobiled, and they kept saying, man, the Jordan Valley's gorgeous. We got to go to the Jordan Valley. And, but the problem is they shut down. I mean, East Jordan's a dead end on Trail 4 on snowmobiles, so it's really hard to do a loop. You got to go all the way to Jordan and then leave and go all the way back to civilization. So on a snowmobile, it, was, it wasn't easy. So we just said, let's jump in the truck and, and drive to East Jordan. We'll just hit the city, and we'll see what, what it's like. And we got coffee at the coffee shop which my daughter became the manager of eventually, <clears throat> but it was an odd, I started looking around, asking around. And then we had a list of land that we had had on like Zillow or truly or whatever it was. And we're sitting at the coffee shop or dinner at the restaurant. And I said, babe, there's a property right here in town. We should go. And there's two and a half, three feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> and so we drive down to this address to find it. And, there's a gate up and we didn't know the terrain was so not flat. So that was super awesome because the pictures, it just looked like some flat land with some woods. And we, I called the realtor and asked if I could trespass. <clears throat> and he just said, yeah, absolutely. Go walk the property. So, um, I think we got maybe a quarter mile up the ridge line, and I looked at my wife and she's like, we got to live here. And I said, yeah. So I called and made an offer and, and we bought the land and that was it. Like we didn't even, that was in the winter. We hadn't even seen it in the spring. Yeah. We didn't know what was there, what was under, could have been a trash heap of automobiles. We had no right. idea. Just a big junk pile. Yeah. Oh, we had no idea. So it was gorgeous and, and, uh, it's worked out. So we're stoked, but yeah, yeah. no, that's, you're right. That's a, that whole kind of Northwest side of, of Michigan. It's just, it's beautiful over there. I mean, we were talking before we were recording, and I grew up, um, you know, probably a little over an hour east of, of where you guys are at now. And, you know, I'm down in, call it Metro Detroit now. I'm, I'm still, I'm over, an, I'm over an hour north of, of Detroit proper. And I'm kind of, I can look, I got woods out my back door. So, like, that's kind of like a little piece of home. You have, trees, you have woods. You have What's trees, that? Yeah. You have trees, you Tre have woods. I have trees, yeah. I have trees. And... Because on the other, about 20 yards on the other side of those trees is another dirt road. So, yeah. but I, you know, I get a little bit of wildlife. We get some turkeys and some deers roaming, some deer roaming around from time to time. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's nice, but yeah, what a, I, I want to go back to what you were talking about, you know, serving in the, um, in the Navy and then in the army. Yeah. 
So you mentioned, you know, when you decided to to join the Navy, you wanted to, you know, see the world and just kind of get out of the situation that you were in. Right. So after your 12 years there, what made you decide to to reenlist in the Army? Well, I was I was um, I had chosen another path in the Navy and it, um, it didn't work out. So um, my options were I'd learned it from another guy where I was at um, about the Army Warrant Officer program. And so just the way things work out, the people you meet, the right time, um, I was doing something, helping a group of guys do something. And I heard him talking about the warrant officer program to go fly helicopters. And you don't need a degree. You don't need to go, you don't have to be a college graduate. You can just go in. And I had 12 years of service, so I knew that I'd be considered. So I called my branch manager or detailer or whatever the Navy calls the manager. And I said, I want to transfer. I want to put a packet in for warrant officer. And he said, no, I need you in Italy. And I said, I'm not going to Italy. And he goes, no, yeah, I need you to sign. He signed this three-year obligated service extension on your enlistment. And I need a cardiovascular tech in Italy. It was Italy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Siganella or something like that, Italy. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. He's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> I'm not going to sign it. So you can't send me unless I sign it. I only have six months left. And he said, well, if you send a package up, I'm just going to deny your request for a lateral transfer. And I was like, why would you deny it? Like, there's no grounds for that. Like I'm trying to promote my career. I'm still going to continue to serve in the military. I just want to do it in the army and fly helicopters. Why is that so bad? Like, why can't you just same team, bro? Like yeah, why can't exactly same team. And, he did what he, he held to his word. I sent my packet up and he took it all the way to the 06 and got it denied all the way up the chain and said, made up some excuse that I hadn't paid back some time occurred for school, which I had. He lied and I won't say his name and that's fine, <clears throat> but um, just no integrity on that one. So I, there was a rule then at the time that um, if I was enrolled in college, I could get a three month early out. And so I went to the local university, put my name in, they enrolled me and I got accepted and I, it was at the local level. So he couldn't do anything about it. My local commander signed me out three months later, I was on leave and I was out. So I moved back to Ohio and put my packet in as to be a warrant officer, prior service civilian. It took me 22 months. And so that was my break in service between the Navy and the army is how that happened. I didn't want to get out. I loved yeah. serving. I loved it. I wanted to go straight to the from the navy to the army so it was just you know that i just loved the job i completely intended on staying until i could till they kicked me out 20 years is retirement but i i was going to stay forever after i made warrant officer and was flying helicopters but then the army decided to retire my helicopter and they didn't replace that platform with any other scout helicopters and that's just my personality so it just fit. There's four main helicopters that the Army used to have, and the Scout helicopter isn't very popular for common, you know, the normal civilian types. You don't really see much of it. So you're, it's the Black Hawk and the Apache and the Chinook are the big, but you never, nobody ever knew about the 58D, the Kiowa Warrior. It's a little two-seater with 50-cal machine gun and, and rockets or Hellfire missiles, and nobody ever knew about it. You know, it's like a Corvette. It's a little convertible with no doors and you're shooting m4 out the door and it's like it's a james a bond helicopter it is it's a riot dude so they retired it and with no replacement as of yet and i didn't want to fly anything else so 
I just said, well, 24 years is enough. And, and, uh, I retired. So, yeah. And here you are, here I am. What's it? I mean, so one, what was the, the kind of the, the pipeline for actually, you know, obtaining your pilot's license, you know, to become a helicopter pilot. And then, you know, once you obtain that license, you know, what kind of mission, were you flying missions or, or what did that look like? Yeah. So, so oddly enough, it's fresh in my mind right now because my my oldest son is in flight school right now. So okay. he's doing the same pipeline that I did. Um, it's a Army has a warrant officer flight program. They also um, have a program which is awesome that my son did, and it's street to seat or high school straight to flight school. And you get commissioned um, as a warrant officer straight out of high school, and you go to a normal um, basic army boot camp, and then you go to uh, warrant officer candidate school, and then you go to SEER school, um, and then you start flight school. And then flight school is just a basic flight, just normal flight. Then you get into more emergency procedures flight, and then you do instrument flying, <clears throat> and then you'll do some basic combat maneuvering skills training, and then you'll go for your advanced airframe selection. So you do all of those first four stages in the EC-145 or the or the Lakota, which is the UH-72. Um, and then you transition to one of the four Army aircraft, which is fixed wing, um, the Apache, the Black Hawk, or the Chinook. And then you just go through their pipeline, which is just an AQC or Advanced Aircraft Qualification course. And then you go to the unit and you fly. For me, it was a always Kiowa. I didn't even know they existed until I was in flight school. It was like a week before selection, I was in the Blackhawk. I was like, I'm guess I'm picking Blackhawks because I want to go fly 160th. And someone told me that that's the best way to get there. And then someone said, why aren't you going to fly 58s? And I was like, what's a 58? I was in the Navy. I wasn't in the Army for right. 11 years. I craft it is. And, and I looked it up and did my research and switched immediately. And, and uh, I got I got, there were 12 of us that got 58s in that class out of that selection. So I'm happy. I mean, the, the rest, I could have never been as happy flying. And so I went to both Iraq and Afghanistan and flew in, flew in both combat zones. Um, and that's fantastic. Like, that's amazing to do. Um, it's a great, great opportunity. And, you know, I love the, I loved the, the job. Like the mission was fantastic. It's really just to protect the guys on the ground that have a way harder life than I do. Um, so it's just to give them comfort and oversight. So that's, that's what I loved about it. It's always the big brother kind of mentality is to protect the guys that in your family. And, and so I really loved it. Like I, I, I enjoyed being gone and it was just my new family when I left. So yeah, that's kind of a, and we're, uh, we're just a few days past, but, I will say this, uh, you know, a, a belated happy Veterans Day and thank you for your service because that's uh, the way you just kind of put it, that that family, that brotherhood, that that overwatch, like that's 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 serious stuff, man. So thank you for your service. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've re, you know, you've done your time, you've retired, you've relocated to Michigan. Tell me about a loan. I got I mean, we've got to talk about it, man. I. I mean, we could probably do a whole episode aside just about that, but yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's where I came across you, Nate is, and I was telling you this earlier is, you know, when I started watching your season on Netflix and it popped up, it was like, uh, oh, East Jordan, Michigan. And like I had two thoughts. One, I was like, 
this guy's going places, right? Like I know where he's sure. from. And then it started talking about your military background. I was like, oh, this this guy's in it. He's in it for the long yeah. haul, for sure. Like there was, I think there was probably two or three of the uh, the members of your uh, your season that I would have put money on. And you yeah. were certainly one of them, especially, I don't know, maybe it's just like my, my outdoorsman biased, my Michigan yeah. bias, like all of these, you're, you're the, the military service bias. I was like, yeah, like he can survive in the bush. He's a hunter. He knows what Michigan cold weather's all about. I mean, just Midwest cold weather for that matter with, you know, growing up in Ohio. Um, but yeah, let, tell me about it. What, what got you there? So I had written an email I think for like season six of alone, maybe season five of alone. And it is just sad as a draft in my inbox. Cause I was in the military. So I knew that like just that, just like the PR, what it would take for my public relations officer to just get me to be allowed to be gone for up to six months was probably a no, like don't even bother. I was, we were, deploying i was always mission ready we we're always training for the next deployment so i knew that it was a no so but it's a pipe dream so i had it in the inbox and we retired retired we got stable up here and the house was being built like we were still in the truck and living in the tiny house in the freight liner um i think the well was drilled so the family had water. So I was at a comfortable place. And I just said, you know what? Let me just submit this email just for fun. See yeah. what happens. If anything, I, I'm gone for six months. I got some cash and we can finish this the way we want to finish it. Right? Yeah, we can get absolutely. Really so maybe it's an opportunity and it's a super fun um, experience and I've been wanting to do it. So I dropped my name in the hat and the next day I get a call and I got cherry picked. I had... I had submitted my application the last week of their applications, which means it was on time, but they had already filled their military stereotype for that show. They thought they had enough. So they cherry picked me for another show called Alone the Beast. And they asked me if I'd be interested and they, they're like, what are your primitive skills? And I was like, what are what are primitive skills like what do you mean what are you what are you what's what are you thinking like which which one of my skills are primitive and they're so she's going through this list of things can you start a fire with just sticks and i was like yeah never done it never sure. done it you Lying can figure it out though. i can do that i can if someone else has done it i sure as hell can do it so right I'm, it's just my mentality so i was like yeah what do you need and i I know basic survival in the wilderness. I can I'm, I can think outside the box pretty good and, and figure stuff out. And I've read a lot of books and when it comes to that stuff and been through some training. And so I said yes. And she said, okay. So I was on the short list and then I got picked. And I was on a three-man team and they sent us to Northwest Territories. And the premise of the show was you survive 30 days um, with no tools, no weapons, just the clothes on your back. Um, and they gift us a large game animal. And so our gift was a muskox. They, the local native shot a muskox, they gut shot a muskox and then gave it to us five hours later. And they helicoptered it to a sunny ridge and baked it in the sun for five hours from a gut shot. <laughs> 
So any hunter is a funny story. If you have the time, I'll tell it. Yeah, please. Uh, So the three of us are hunters and normal dudes. Just um, we've never met each other. And one's one of my best friends to this day. The other one, he's a good dude. Uh, And uh, but uh, he's all right. And so they're hunters that they're outdoorsmen. One's really primitive survival guy. One's just like a, like a, he's an amazing dude, amazing life story from Idaho. Um, and like a hobo for like 10 years of his life. He just rode trains. Like he was homeless, just rode trains. He's an amazing, he's Jordan's brother, Ben. Right. So Jordan won season six. Um, so we get this gifted to us and we got to sharpen rocks and make, blades out of stones and try to gut this and and process this muskox which is he had to weigh probably if he was he's probably 1400 pounds right is a giant giant muskox each quarter was about 80 pounds so i said well let's it's been sitting here as like a time bomb he's just you could bounce a quarter on him he was packed just full of gas oh and it was a left rear um, he went right through the left rear gut and I found the slug in the front right shoulder blade when we cut that quarter out that was the bullet so he went through everything on the way up so we take like a quartering away shot then or quartering two I suppose quartering away like yeah, he was okay. he was he was at the hind quarter and he shot into the back of him and went right through his everything he, he clipped along but he clipped everything else on the inside of that <laughs> oh, muskox. Oh goodness! How about we try, we try a gutless quarter, because the second we split him and try to open him up, I know that we want to cool him down, but we've lost the back straps at this point. We've yeah. lost any fat really that we're going to get out of him. So I said, let's just be delicate with these stones, these rocks, and try to do a gutless quarter. And we did. We got the first. We got the 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 two uh four quarters off the front shoulders were were off and we started the third quarter and we got like 90 percent of it and we were hesitant to get up near the the backside and i don't remember who it wasn't me but somebody was was hacking away and i we all three of the hunters heard it tear we knew he cut the membrane and you see us we just here we're all up on it and it starts to split and tear <laughs> and we all split we all backed away from this bomb and all the other producers guys were just in there filming and oh. bam, came out the ass end and anyway so it was a fun hunting story but we got her quartered and we had a bear encounter and we lasted 30 days and we did everything we needed to do and it was a good crew and well that being said I met the casting director of Alone. She was the casting director for The Beast. So I met her and I asked her, what are my chances? Like, like I, I'm interested in the big show. Yeah. I like Jamie and I'll do my part, but what do I need to do to make varsity? And, and she said, well, just, you know, so see how it turns out. So I went nuts with self-filming. Like they gave us a camera and I just filmed everything I could and put my personality out there and, and made an effort and came back <clears throat> successful from that show. And the next season of alone, they were casting 
and the following spring and I sent her an email and said, Hey, am I in some kind of training timeout where I can't apply? Can I, can I put my name in the hat? Is there like some VIP right. I've done it? You already know me. Can I just kind of throw my name in? And she said, well, I was, they gave me permission to call so many people and you were number one to call. So yeah, send me some videos and then the rest is history. I got, I got picked up and I made the short list and I even got to keep my beard because of the beast. Like they made everybody else shave their beards or cut them way low. Really? Yeah. And in orientation, when we went to, when we got to British Columbia, they, we sit there for two weeks in quarantine and then two weeks in orientation. So I'm in British Columbia for a month and waiting for the show to start. And right before, like the day before they put us in, the, she came in and she's like, all right, uh, you guys are going to have to change your facial hair. And I was like, I don't want to shave my beard. Deal breaker. And I was like, you nobody said that. Like, I'm <laughs> Where's the ultimate? Like, you can have it, but they let me keep it because I was on the beast. Okay. And that's how people would recognize me is from the beard. So everyone else, man, some dudes like Jordan had to shave his, he had a huge beard, bigger than mine. Really? And he was, he was the log cabin dude. Yeah. They, he shaved his beard off, man. That destroyed him. Man, poor guy. <laughs> like Samson <laughs> with the, with that beard, man. Like that's where all your strength comes from. It is. I know you feel it, but he, anyway, so that's how it all came to be. That's kind of how I got on the show. So how was your experience there? I mean, I've, I've certainly seen the season. Like, I think I probably binge watched it in gosh, two or three days. Like I would just, kids would go to bed at night and it was like, boop, flip it on until I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. Next day, so, pick right where I left off. So I, it, it's exactly what you, it's, it's what you can imagine it to be. It's all the glory and all the, for yourself, that challenge, that personal challenge, and then the ability to step away and look at the where you're at, that you would never do that. Like you could, we just don't do that anymore. We'd never right. stick ourselves isolated in this wilderness. That's you got glacier peaks around this beautiful lake, you know, and just set yourself up alone to just to survive as long as you could. So that being said, if it was a true survival show, I would have left my spot the first day. Because we blind select our locations and that when I hit the ground, I walked up and tried to kick a hole in the ground and the entire area that I was in was a glacier melt runoff. So it was just stones. It was just gravel and stones, which means I knew I had no burrowing, ground burrowing animals, which would bring in no birds for that kind of growth. For the, It was all just moss and stones. So there was no vegetation for waterfowl to come on shore. There was no rabbits or hares that were going to be running around the pheasants weren't going to be dusting or scratching or the, or the grouse so i was like or ptarmigan or whatever they have up in in uh, ground birds they have up there so I, immediately i was like well this is it like i'm not a very good pick when i <laughs> drew my location out of the the out of the hat <clears throat> so but you're they're limited you know you got to stick with what you get and make it work and so i knew that i had fishing so i set camp and went fishing and the, the the it's probably out now but the they don't really talk about the rules and the regulations and all the cans and can't do's um on the show they don't give you the full insight so that's what the fun is for you to talk to me you get to hear a little bit of the fun yeah uh, give, me, give me some of the uh so the, on, the underbelly on day, four, on day four i caught a a bull trout 
and uh, that was they put it on air. That was on day five, I think. It made it made for better TV. <clears throat> but on day four, I caught it. And you can't use any live bait. So, well, may, I take that back. You can use row, okay. but if you've ever tried to hook a row without a row bag, you're not. No. You can't put a hook through a row. No. Like there's nothing. So, but that we were allowed to use row. I don't. I couldn't have put it in the stomach of it. I can't use anything of parts of the fish. I can't even use like berries from land that look like row. Really? Anything that was alive, we weren't allowed to fish with. No okay. berries, no rose hips, no worms, no crickets, no nothing. Nothing um, to increase your chances. Yeah, we just weren't allowed to use live bait. So we had to use uh, the first fish I caught on was that bull trout was on a poly. I cut some 550 cord and made a fly. I just traded right. out and tied a fly on a and 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 barbless hooks. Like you can't have a barbed hook. So barbless hooks are for active fishing. Right. And but you let us they let us set a trot line with three passive barbless hooks on it. So I set I I made a I made a passive hook. I just threw it out there so I could have something in the water that I'm making an effort to catch food. And then I started scouting and I just left it there. And I shit, I came back and there's a there's a fish on it on day four. I was stoked. And I said then if I can catch a fish every four days that's this size, 24, 25 inches, I'm golden. Yeah. Like I'll 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 start packing them in and I'll I'll fast for a week and I'll I'll save two and smoke them and then I'll start catching more and and so I I was optimistic and then it just dried up like it went quick. So day four was my big meal. I didn't eat again until day fourteen. Wow. Like I didn't catch a fish until day 14 and I had built the pier. I had like, I was working. I built my shelter, built the pier. I missed that damn grouse. Like day one, I missed yep. the damn grouse. Like I remember and I that. taking the shot. Like it, I've never shot anything that close. I'm all practicing from like 15 yard, 15 meter shots. And this dang thing's like six feet away from me. I can't even hit a damn. <laughs> I don't know where I'm I'm like, this is too close for me to hit how high or low I was off. I missed it by an inch. And anyways, it's fun. Anyways, but, and I thought about it. I was like, why am I taking the shot? I'm not even hungry. Kill this dang grouse on day one and I'm going to have food. And then that's it. Maybe I should save him for later. If he's hanging around, maybe I should just be chill. Yeah. And I shouldn't have taken the shot. I should have just ignored him and let him get comfortable with me. And then I would have just grabbed his ass like <laughs> four days later. So, but anyways, so I, I mean, th that's kind of how it went down. I, I, I explored the entire area. I had some bear in my area that they just slept. We just kept our space and, and it, I'd find scat everywhere and prints and stuff near the, the creek, but we never faced each other. And there were some wolf tracks, but, but I never encountered them except for their calls at night. Um, and, on day one was the only sign that I even saw for any kind of blacktail. And it was just one print, an old print next to the, the creek by my spot. And that was it. And I, I went, I got told to go back to my property, which means I scouted the whole thing and left my boundary. And my little GPS started beeping at me and said, you've left your property, turn back and go, go back the way you came. So I was going everywhere I could. Um, to find food. And I waited till day 14 
because up until day 14, we could only shoot a four-point blacktail buck. So in Canada, that means four on one side, not counting a brow tine. Not the Michigan four-point. Not a Michigan four-point. Not a little basket rack. Yeah. Not, not a Michigan. This is a blacktail that's at least, if he's a uniform, he's eight, ten yeah. point counting brow. That's a big blacktail. Yeah, it is. I didn't even bother. Like, I didn't even go. I mean, I looked around for sign because then maybe I could set up where I'm going to set a blind or I'm going to sit for someone and set up a night camp and stay there all night and then wake up for them moving and and nothing. Like, I wasn't going to go actively hunting for a 10-point buck um, until day 14. It opened up any buck. Okay. So on day 14, we could shoot any buck. So I just worried about fishing for the first 14 days. I was hoping to pack on some some protein and stuff, uh, thinking I could catch a fish every four days. I would be perfect prime for my hunt, and I didn't catch any fish. So on day the night of day four, of 13, I caught like a six-inch rainbow or eight-inch rainbow, and I ate that thing whole. I didn't even skin it, gut it, nothing. I just put it over the fire and ate everything from head to tail on that. That was the longest I'd ever gone without food. It was eight straight days. Um, and that was, it wasn't as bad as it, the, the tough part was the energy changes at about day six, five or six, where I just, my, my gas tank was empty and, and I just had to find a, find the will to just keep moving, to go fish every day and find new things to do. So it was tough, man. I mean that, but once I caught that fish, I built the pier and I kept catching more fish, and I caught a huge bull trout. Um, but I didn't have a, I didn't hook him. He was actually on a rainbow that I had caught prior. He he hit the rainbow. Okay. So when I pulled it in and netted it, it was a foot, a twelve inch rainbow, with all these teeth marks on it. And I, I bet you, that bull trout was forty inches long. His his head when he surfaced was was eight inches from eye to eye. Oh, wow. It was the biggest. It felt like that scene from Jaws. <laughs> he's coming, and he's looking, and he looks back, and there's a giant. That's what I got, like, that made the hair on the back of my head stand up when I saw him on the line, just going. I thought I had hooked him. So I ran back to get my landing net and went back out there and pulled the line in and to hook it, and there's a tiny rainbow. Like, I had imagined it all because I was so hungry. But, no, I know I saw a huge bull <laughs> trout. <laughs> that 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 changed that changed my perspective on what i was using to fish because the little rainbows were hitting my beard like i cut my beard and sewed hair beer hair ties i tied these flies that have my beard hair yeah and they were hitting those small little almost like a mayfly size fly these rainbows were these 12 inch rainbows and then these beasts were hitting 12 inch rainbows so I like carved a fish out of wood and I wrapped it with snare wire so it was shiny and I had hooks, my passive hooks on it. And I was going to, I was cutting my line and fishing line for it, my fishing pole. And I had my fishing pole carved out, ready to put it together on day 23 or 22 and it started raining. And that's, and the rest is history on day 24. So I never got to use it, but that changed my whole perspective. That was on day 21 that I missed that huge bull trout. And I 
had to pivot on how I was going to fish and start getting try. I built like a six inch lure fishing lure that I wanted to use, but I never did. So, yeah, uh, the pier was a brilliant idea. Cause I remember the winds on that lake were just insane to see. I mean, cause it's an inland lake, right? It was an inland lake, yeah. right? Like, yeah. How big was that lake? Because I mean, there was times with the wind, like it looked like there was like three, four footers out there on an inland lake, which is almost unheard of. There's, there's six footers. There's, they couldn't, they're so big. I did the, I did, we found out where we were going when we got up there and we had a month, like I said, the two month, two weeks of it was in quarantine at a resort on another lake. So with internet access and everything. So we're kind of, this is, I know I'm in the region, so I'm going to start looking stuff up. So what's the biggest lake in the area? They didn't tell us what lake, but I looked it up. What's the biggest lake they can stick 10 people on where we can be separated? So yeah. Choco Lake is like at its widest, it might be it might be three quarters of a mile. Okay. Maybe three quarter mile across, but 35 miles long. Wow. You got 70, 80 miles of shoreline on this. And in some places, I'm almost certain it's it's 900 feet deep. <laughs> like there's some places, if I remember correctly, it's that deep. It's like an abyss. So there's weather advisories where you, you can't even be on it in any boat. Like there, there's the waves are so big. And I knew the safety guy from before from on the beast is, He's a good dude named Lars. <laughs> and I said, Lars, did you get any bigger boats for this lake? And he kind of looked at me like I'm crazy. And he's like, why would I do that? And I was like, no reason. Just ask him. And like, no reason. And there were two, at least two or three times during the show. And I probably shouldn't say this. I'll probably get <laughs> my hand slapped. But they would tell us, don't do anything hazardous or risky because we're in a weather advisory. There's no boats that can go get you. We can't come get like, you. You're you really mean? alone. <laughs> I'm alone in the wilderness. What more risk do I need? Like, I can't tell the bears no. Like, not right now, boys. The waves are too big. Yeah, come on back tomorrow. Yeah, come back tomorrow. Anyway, so it was, yeah, dude, those waves are every, if you can look it up, Choco Lake, there are stories of, it's insane. Those winds are nuts. So I knew I was, I couldn't cast and hand cast into the wind anymore. So I had to do something. And I had all these beautiful telephone pole straight trees that were drift logs that I just, let me do something with them. So, yeah. And I remember, I think it was the, like your, or at least the way they showed it on, um, on the show was your first attempt as you were trying to get it out into the water, it collapsed on you. And I remember like watching and thinking like, my man ain't going to rebound from this. Like he exerted so much energy at this point and this thing just collapsed and you're in like the cold water. I'm like, I, I would have just, I would have, I would have folded unless, you know, like 95% hell, 99% of people would have just been like, that's it. I tried it. It didn't work, but you like got right back to it, man. And got it out there. And that was like, you said this from very, very early on in our conversation, you you know, think outside the box. And I think that that scenario right there is like the perfect example of thinking out of the box because in all the other episodes or seasons that I've seen, I've not seen anyone do something like that in order to combat the wind, to get into that deeper water, to really try to increase your chances to, you know, to pull some fish out of the water. Yeah. 
it was the the pier was it was gonna happen like i there was i'm a pretty stubborn determined dude so like i knew that i didn't have 100 pounds like bico to survive like i don't have any yeah and i'm i'm i walk my walking around weights 190 and i'm pretty fit dude so when i lose i hadn't been 160 pounds since high school wrestling so it was rough for me to lose that weight so i knew that i didn't have the time like yeah. i had to figure out fishing because there was no deer coming around my area and i couldn't kill anything else so the pier was there was no failure like every step was just what, what not to do. So that's all I was doing every attempt. And I had to design it without using my, all my gear. I didn't want to use my paracord to tie it. I didn't want to use snare wire to keep it together. So I wanted, I wanted the waves to re to make it stronger. And I wanted the weight of the pier to make it stronger. So I had two pressures to build it. And that's, that's what I did. That's how I designed it. And it took me three. They only showed two attempts, but it, they didn't show a second attempt to put it in. It fell apart. And then the third attempt was the golden one. I said three, so three's it. So um, was that, that was all, awesome. Was that all in the same day, or was that like okay, the first day it didn't work? Like let's re recoup, or you know, yeah, re you know, regather yourself. Three days. Okay. I spent three days trying to put that pier in. So I that, mean, those were my long days you're trying to i mean i think i was in like day 15 maybe i don't know what day actual day it was but i i hadn't i went for a i hadn't eaten for for eight days caught some fish for the hunt went on this crazy hike throughout my entire terrain to look for deer even just sign of deer and so my whole day i didn't think i was going to make it back for till sunset like i was gone all day I must have trekked eight miles that day and I didn't have it. I didn't have the energy, but I had to do it. Like I had to find where I was going to be and, and hopefully find food. Cause this was my hunting. Now any buck will do. And two days later, I was defeated that I didn't find a single sign. I crossed this, this Creek. I, they called it salmon Creek or whatever. It's called rainbow or something Creek on the map. I can't remember. But it's it's a glacier runoff that looks neat on the overview from GPS satellite. But when you're on the ground, it's it's belly deep water that's 33 degrees coming off a glacier. And I had to cross six of those to get to two thirds of my land. Oh, wow. Like that wasn't thought out like there's I couldn't even and it's moving. So I can't build a bridge. So I got to take off all my gear, carry it across these creeks. So I, I did it twice because that's all I had the energy for. I mean, I had no fat to, to even do it, let alone freeze. So, but you have to, there's six to get across it. And then you got to do it coming back to your camp. So I was like, I had, I had did it and then I found the rope. That's the only thing I scavenged the whole thing was that little section of rope I made my bed out of. Um, and so I had decided I have to, I have to figure out fishing. Like that's going to have to be my source and my meal ticket. Cause everything else is, if it just, unless it walks up on me and lays down, I'm screwed. So, um, so that's what it was. That's why the pier was so important. Yeah. I, it, it was my, I mean, I was going to do a, you know, a 
Tom Sawyer raft and try to just <laughs> get on the damn thing and, and hope I can get back to shore on a calm day, but I never got any calm days. So yeah, man. And I'd imagine nuts. like the calm waters, like, because there was uh, another gentleman who built a boat, who built yeah. a canoe, yeah. which I thought yeah. was genius the way he yeah. did it. Like I remember when he had the idea and he started, you know, you know, constructing this thing. I remember thinking to myself, like, no chance in hell is this going to work? And sure yeah. enough, it did. And he just had bad luck where his, you know, um, I don't even know what he put down, but it was almost, it, it got snagged, right? He got snagged and then, you know, either broke off. I can't remember what, but it, you know, it, he caught a couple of fish that way, but he yeah. seemed to be in a real calm part of the lake, whether he was, you know, the way the wind was going or, you know, you just happened to be, you know, downwind of, you know, every, all the wind, you know, you're, you're. He, he was the southernmost participant. He was one more south of me and he was in a cove. Yeah. So he had this, this really nice cutout. Um, but he was, his terrain was pretty much straight uphill. He had a lot of slope coming up right underneath the glacier edge. Um, so. Cause he that, got out he, and swam, didn't he? Like a, a portion to try to get to a different part of his territory. I don't know if, if he swam. Someone did. Might've. Yeah. I got, I had to, I didn't film myself a couple times cause I, I, I got one of my lures caught snagged. I first, I built another lure and I threw it way I could cast really far. And I threw it out there and was trying to draw it in and it got snagged in about eight feet of water. And I didn't want to lose it. I didn't, I was so sick of this working so hard to make something and then figure it out. And so I took off all my clothes cause I wasn't going to, it was a cold day and I didn't want my, anything to be wet so i just shut the cameras off and you're supposed to tell someone that you're getting wet and you're they're supposed to send a boat and they're 30 i was 33 miles from the base so they're not going to come down for me to go get this damn fish fishing line unstuck so i just started walking out and i got like neck deep and i'm thinking i'm close i'm holding my line above the water and then i was like i'm going under i slipped on a rock i went under and i just went down and swam down to the bottom and got it um, and that's some cold water, but yeah, I bet that time of year, that region, yeah. I mean, it's glacier water, right? Yeah. I mean, the water temp was probably in the forties. So it's cold enough. I mean, I, I do that every morning. Like I'm in like 45 degree water in a cold dip for three minutes every morning now, but it's different. I got my nine hundred ninety pound body fat on, you know, yeah. I'm, fat. I'm not one sixty and already compromised. And it was it was it was refreshing. Let's just say that. Yeah. It was ref- well, I'll tell you when. I mean, like I like I was telling you before, you were one of my three front runners. You know, from the first time you guys introduced, you know, introduce yourselves in the first yeah. couple episodes. Um, and it's like you know I, I've seen enough episodes that they kind of set it up right, so you, you kind of know that the possibility of of tapping out is coming, right? And I think it was must have been day 22 23 right before you did and you started to kind of talk about how your body just didn't feel right right and you know no one knows their own body better than themselves and right. you know probably your experience in the navy as a corpsman like right. you knew the signs to look for right when you could right. you had to tell yourself like it's you know it's it, it's coming to the point where i've got to make a really tough decision here yeah well i think that i had I think I'm a I'm a very practical 
person normally. Like I'm very optimistic, um, but practical. So there's always that I'm very reasoned out fella, level-headed. And I, I had sized everybody up and I'm pretty sure we matched up on our, on our picks on who was going to win it. Of course, I was on that list if I got food. Um, but if I didn't get food, um, and Biko didn't roll his ankle, I think I thought he had the best chance of lasting everybody because it was such a f- scarce food place. Yeah. Uh, Clay was my second choice. He was right underneath me. Um, and, uh, but, um, and Rose was third. So I thought Rose was going to kill it. Um, just from her personality and her grit. Um, and if she had the opportunity to kill something, she was going to do it. Um, so I don't know. It was just, I knew that I couldn't outlast without food. And so by day 22, I had been, I had exhausted a lot of my yeah, you had two meals. Yep. Everything was gone. My fat was gone and my body started to convert and save its fat. So I was burning muscle at this point, pretty much only muscle. And then I knew it on day 22 to it started raining and i had thought to tap on day 22 like if my wife was watching me and saw me then she would have said yeah you're tapping on day 22 so um probably day 20 if she would have really heard me talking <laughs> um and what was really going on so um but again i'm optimistic but i'm a practical thinker but i'm extremely stubborn and when you have three personality traits like that two of them usually team up optimistic and stubborn always team up on the practical guy. So my rational thinking's like, Hey, we should probably go. And then stubborn guys like you big baby. Like we can. And then the optimist is like, yeah, we're going to catch a fish tomorrow. We're going to be fine. Just stick it out one more day. And then the, so he gets, Oh, he gets so outvoted. Yeah. And I, did. I constantly got outvoted on the, the practical side. So I was laying in bed in the, in the, uh, shelter. And I did a full body, just kind of assessment of where I'm at. And, and it rained for two days. I got up on day 23, checked things out when I kept fishing, I kept looking for fish and wasn't hitting. And, and then I woke up on day 24 and I had a headache, um, which I never have. And I was nauseous. I was dry heaving, which tells me in my experience with my boys and with myself, I knew that I had burned through all of my stored fat, that my body was going to burn. I was fat adapted already and that I was burning muscle so that I was running through a lot of ketones and I was heavy on the ketones and I'm sensitive when I'm in ketosis. If I'm deep in ketosis, I get nauseous, I get a headache. And I knew that that's a danger zone for me to, because if I stay there for too long without any fat to keep burning and I don't have any fat coming in, that it's going to be detrimental. So, um, I was just calling to let them know that my health had changed, that I was a headache and that I was throwing up because I knew a med check was coming um, and resupply on batteries or something that I needed. And and in the I just thought for a second, I got you on the line. I might as well just do it. So I just yeah. said, hey, like, OK, sounds good. Anything else? And I was like, yeah, I'm officially tapping out. So that's kind of how it went down. Like it, I knew I was going to do it. And I might as well do it. And it. I did it on my terms and it, I didn't, I knew, I didn't want to damage my body. And I knew that I wasn't going to, even if I could catch a fish, like, what am I going to last another week? Yeah. If this fish. So 
it, it took me so long to catch fish. I just, it was time to go. Yeah. So I, and the, even key the I think you said it like you were pretty you're a pretty even keeled guy like that was one thing that I recall like watching I was you never showed a lot of emotion never high never too low like you were always right here right in the middle of things and I think it was probably around day 22 you were doing one of your confessionals or you know I'm not sure what they call them yeah. but you you got emotional and I think like for me watching because I, I don't know like I just picked up on it and I was like he, he, he just, you just seemed like you were kind of in a bad headspace, right? Like you had just, yeah. your body was shutting down on you. Right. And there's, yeah. there's only well, so much you can do. You never, yeah. You never want, well, I don't like to, I don't like to, I, am, I, I am, let me say this. Uh, I encourage failure, which means without it, then I'm not trying. Right. So I have to find the ways not to do something. Quitting Quitting is a little different than failing at something. So I had to have failed. I did fail at so many different things. I made some bad choices. I didn't. I brought a dang thermal underwear that was fishnet, and I didn't make a landing net day one. Like I, that's lazy. Like I didn't. I didn't do it. I brought long johns that are. They actually make them. They're fantastic, but they look like jersey material. It looks like a dang like a trout landing that I brought that as part of my gear. It got approved because it is technically a set of long johns and I never made a net and I lost a fish. Like I made mistakes. So failure was there and it's there. And I learned from that and I am, I encourage it. Like, don't be afraid of it. It's, it's not really failing. It's just learning. And then you have to be positive in the failure, but quitting is, that's tough for me. Like I was, I want, I, I wanted to give more, but I had nothing else. I had no more, no more energy in the tank, no more gas, nothing. I was done, and I, I wanted to keep going. So my, my spirit was still there. So I just knew the best thing to do was to be done, and that's, that's tough to. It's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Like it, you, you make a really good point in the distinction between the two there, because I think a lot of people don't have that that foresight or that wherewithal to to understand the distinction between the two right and right. and being able to recognize the difference um i think is what separates a lot of people from either you know people are people are afraid to try because of failing and right. I, I think that's that's worse than quitting something you know if you're right. not even i mean you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable and in a situation like right. what you were in i mean that's that's as uncomfortable as it gets for anyone right. Right. And, right. you know, I, I watch the show and, you know, I don't care if you last four days or you last, you know, 65 days. Like I just right. have an immense amount of respect for for, you know, not only yourself and, and all the other contestants that that put themselves in that position, because, I mean, you're making a choice. It's not like you, you found yourself on hard times and you ended right. up in the wilderness. Right. Like you chose to do this. And that's that's a hell of a thing, brother. Like, hey, it really is. No, oh, I appreciate it. Would you do it again? Yep. Are you going to do it again? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I won't push. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I thought I, I thought I did all right. Like I would love to do it again. Like I'd love to give it a shot, but um, yeah. I mean, if they'd have a redemption show or, or something like that, then maybe 
I kept trying to tell the producers they need to do it in a on in the South Pacific. <clears throat> Change it up a little bit. Somewhere a little warmer. Somewhere where it's isolated, really. And there's real dangers like sharks and, you know, bad stuff. Not these land-dwelling animals. These easy... They don't want to do it. They have to do the cold. So I can't imagine the liability on something like that. Oh, <laughs> I can't imagine the liability on the show right now. That's true. I mean, that's crazy. very true. So, so, so uh, you know, when you spend all that time, I'm going to kind of segue here, you know, yeah. looking for deer sign and all that. I mean, <sighs> you spent, you know, the better part of your over half of your adult life, you know, serving in the military it was, I mean, did you have a lot of time to hunt? Did you grow up hunting? Yeah, I, I grew up without a dad. So, um, you know, any cousins or father figures that did Midwest stuff, like we go camping at the local campgrounds and we'd fish for just panfish or catfish or whatever, but it wasn't a routine thing. It was just, I got to go do it with my cousins who had a dad that they went fishing with. Yeah. So we had the normal in the seventies, my the uncles and and stuff would go to Canada every year and they'd go take the camper and they'd go just slay fish. They were gone for a week and they'd just party and come back. And when you were 14, you got to go. And of course, everybody got divorced and the tradition died and there were no more dads or uncles taking any of their boys fishing to Canada anymore. So I never got to do that. I started deer hunting. Um, After I joined the military, my my cousin's um, husband, um, local farmer and stuff. So I got invited to go out there and it's hot North Northwest Ohio shotguns. You just run in slugs. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's almost a nightmare. Yeah. Like, like it's, you're pushing deer out of the woods. You got sitters. You're just hoping you don't shoot somebody. It's deer just drives. Yeah. Chaos. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I did hunt. I'd come home for leave. Um, when I had the opportunity and I'd, and I'd take a deer or two, you know, whatever, whatever I could do here and there, but I'm gone. So, and it's expensive cause you're not a resident in New York to get a hunting license. You're paying out the nose for that. So I just, I just would go home and do the hunt or, you know, when I came back to Ohio on leave, I could do some hunting. So it wasn't a big deal. Like it, it just was never, it wasn't. I, I do and I have gone hunting, but it was not, it was not a, I didn't grow up in it. It's not a Northern Michigan kid. Like it's like, it's like baseball in Alabama. Like you're, you're a little boy. You have a baseball and a mitt when you're, you can walk and those boys play baseball. It's the same up North kids are hunting and fishing. And yeah. I just, the, my family dynamic didn't allow for it. Um, and so it wasn't a big, it wasn't a, it was something that I missed, um, growing up. But I learned to hunt other things in the military. Sure. Yeah, probably something a little bit uh, more difficult little, than a deer. A little different, a little more difficult. Um, <laughs> to uh, anyway. So my spirit was there. You know, I'm, the spirit was there, and I knew how to track and, and how to and, and look for deer and look for sign, and, and I knew where they would be or why they would be there, and and I checked every spot that I could think of and, and I, and I never found any. So, I mean, it was, it's just hunting's just been a, it's, it's just something we're going to do here. But when I moved to this 
to this valley. The, the neighbor was the steward of the land for 20 some years and he was allowed to hunt it. So he would set his stands up and the valley was just cleaned out for decades. So, and we have an apple orchard on my property. It's like a hundred tree orchard. You'd think it'd just be inundated with deer. They'd know to come here. And there was none. I didn't even have cottontails on my property when I bought it. Wow. So I, I told the wife and the boys and I told the neighbor and I said, Hey, I'm going to do a five-year moratorium on hunting the land. I want the deer to come back to the Valley. If you don't mind, um, I'm not going to tell you what to do on your land, but I'm just letting you know my 40 acres on this road. I'm not going to hunt it for five years. I want to, I want to try to get a feedlot going and, and get the deer back into the orchard and get them comfortable. And then let the big bucks know they're there and let them breed for a few years. And so we're on our we're into our fifth year. So come next fall is our, is, is hunting season. So I'm going to, I'm going to start for us. I'm going to open the land up for my boys and me, and we're going to start trying to pick one and see if we can get them moving through and, and start picking them. So, um, and that's just so I can get my boys hunting too on our land. And I haven't decided I'll probably do bow first and, and do it quiet. So I can still kind of do another silent hunt for the deer instead of, popping off rounds every hunting season and yeah. I want them to get comfortable um still be here so that's the plan and more start bringing in livestock and stuff then the deer will start to get a little more comfortable with that too so um but we'll see that's that's the plan right now yeah and <clears throat> we talked about it early on i mean we're on the eve of obviously yep. opening day of, of firearm season in michigan here which means it's going to be loud tomorrow morning around you i'd imagine <laughs> yeah my neighbors are we're pretty good crew now there's there's only two of us that actually live on this it's like a three-quarter long dead-end road okay and there's only two of us on it and I, nobody hunts nobody better be hunting my land so i'll go out for a walk tomorrow morning in my blaze orange and make sure i don't get shot um <laughs> and just make sure there's nobody in tree stands um sitting on my property so um which isn't unheard of you know it happens in michigan i know so um, I'm just, I just want to protect it for a, another year and, and then I'll, uh, then I'll get after it next year. So. Yeah. Well, I like that approach that, that five-year moratorium of trying to let the land rebound, right. Trying yep. to let it get back to, you know, it's, it's prominence that it probably once was having, you know, I mean, one, not only just the general area that you're in, but you right. know, hundred tree apple, you know, orchard on your right. land. I mean, yeah, you're right. You would think that that place is just crawling with deer, you know, every night. Right. Right. And it, and I, I take that approach, you know, I, 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 when I, when we started clearing for the house, I started building, you know, um, brush piles. Cause I knew if I brought in the brush piles and gave a habitat for this, for the small critters that the, the rabbits would find their way to it. And sure enough, the rabbits showed up. I've got rough grouse all over the place. Um, and it is, it's an approach to being, I like to be a conservationist when it comes to the animals. I want them to, to flourish, and then I want to have population. My part should be population control so that it doesn't become a nuisance. I'm not in it to just destroy my valley. I want a, I want a good breeding um, population of deer and small game and so that, so that we can live amongst them and live off of them if I have to. So. That's kind of the approach I took to it. And we had coyotes in the valley and I brought my dogs in and we ran them off pretty quick. And 
So it, it just it worked out. You know, I mean, it's it's just a beautiful valley. It's kind of a secret where I live up here. It's, it's a it's a dead end county dirt road attached to a city. And in order to get to it, you have to go through the city limits. It's neat. So that's northern like Michigan living for you. I know the county has to go through town to plow my road. I love it. Like they just <laughs> hit it, plow it and go back through town. So, oh, that's great. Uh, <sighs> Nate, we've been, I told you we were only going to go for about 45 minutes. We're over an hour now. So I'm going to, I, I can chat all night, man. No. And this is uh, the stories that you have to have. I mean, between serving in the military, between, you know, probably seeing the world twice over. And your adventures on a loan, you know, now what you're trying to do, um, you know, slowly kind of, you know, building the homestead there. I mean, we're, we're going to have to get you back on for another episode, man. I'll do another, I'll do another episode, man. Absolutely. We, we might have to do one in person. I was telling you, we've got, uh, my in-laws have, have a place not too far from you and come out and, yeah. and see the land and take a little tour and yeah. sit down and yeah. have a beer and just chat. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Happy. Uh, awesome. All right, yeah, I'm going to let you get out of here, but thank you so much for your time, man. It's been great chatting with you, getting to hear some of your stories. I I really look forward to getting you on here again. All right, Marcus, appreciate it, man. All right, Nate, take care of yourself, man. Yep. See ya. All right, well, thank you again to Nate for joining me on this week's episode. Uh, I want to take a second to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving uh, a few days early, but nevertheless, um, be sure to enjoy time with friends and family. Be thankful. Uh, for all that you um, have been blessed with, um, and just you know, get outside, enjoy some time in the woods. Maybe, uh, maybe it's just sitting on the couch watching some football, eating some turkey, whatever the case is. Enjoy yourselves, uh, enjoy the time with loved ones, and we will see you again next week. Enjoy, everybody. <laughs>